I'm very happy to be here and share with you my work. Today uh, I will talk about uh, a multidisciplinary analysis of autism and uh, I will take into account uh, the predictive engagement hypothesis and also the notion, the phenomenological notion of the living body. So the aim of my paper is to offer a multidisciplinary account of autism linking the role of the body and intercorporeality with the recent findings in philosophy and neuroscience under the predictive brain hypothesis. So the talk will be basically composed by two main parts. In the first one, I will underline the importance of the role of the living body in phenomenology and I will account for the predictive brain hypothesis, emphasizing some coherences between these two approaches, while in the last part I will put my assumptions to the test, analyzing autism from a multidisciplinary perspective. So, phenomenological inspiration is today revolutionizing the role played by the body in cognition, especially emphasizing the relevance of the body in intersubjective understanding and thus showing the centrality of the body in the higher processes of perception and knowledge. In fact, uh, both in Husserl's and Merleau-Ponty's account uh, um, of perception, the body is necessary for the constitution of the self, for the understanding of the other and also for the understanding of the world. In Meloponti's view, one can indeed talk about an incarnate existence of the self. According to this phenomenological perspective, both the cognitive process and consciousness are simply the product of our being embodied. The body is the means by which the subject may live in the world and differ from inanimate creatures. The living body, in fact, is characterized by being intentionally, intentionally directed outwards as a starting point for all kinds of knowledge and by a self-affection that allows it to be aware of itself regardless of any interaction with the world. In particular, Meloponti argues for the inseparability between bodily abilities and consciousness. In other words, our perception of the world depends on, our, on the structural aspects of our existence. One of his main theses is to consider our corporeality as that which is directly responsible of our understanding of the world. In order to explain the entanglement between the corporeal subject and the world, the French phenomenologist uses the notion of operative or motor intentionality, that is a passive and lived intentionality to which the bodies are linked to each other and know each other in a non-thetic, pre-reflective experience. The main feature of this kind of intentionality is its motricity. The subject moves and acts according to a specific bodily schema, a concept that the phenomenologist borrows from the psychologist Schilder. What emerged seems to be a complex subjectivity capable of dealing with the world to a practical knowledge, the so-called proctognosia, and not merely to mental representations. So we can claim that the Meropontian conception of perception implies a circular mechanism necessarily involving the body, the cognitive process and consciousness. According to this account of perception, we can also claim that we have to reframe the notion of causality itself. Uh, as Thomas Fuchs um, argues, especially in his last book, The, uh, the Ecology of the Brain, 
um, we cannot think about causality as a linear structure where we have one cause and one effect, but we have to uh, describe causality as a circular mechanism where uh, our body, our brain and world dynamically and mutually shape each other. The role of the lived body would seem indeed to structure the perceptive experience and make it meaningful. This is evident, for example, in the acquisition of a new habit. This does not seem at all to be the result of a poorly intellectual operation that takes place by means of representation or inferences, but rather a pre-reflecting, involuntary and corporeal act. The key features of this habitual body are the physiological structure, because it depends on the operation of various sensory organs, and the need to be put into practice so that it can preserve its habitual nature. The perceiving consciousness and the physiological substrate consciousness cannot be separated, because they are dialogically and mutually connected. The meeting between the body and the world also implies a dynamic and dialectic relationship. Perception, in fact, does not seem to be a mere representation because the habitual body is constantly modified by its interaction with the environment. Learning to dance or to play an instrument requires a change of affordances and of the intentional relationship between the subject and the world. Considering this image of perception makes it possible to argue that the living body is a key element of the whole cognitive process starting from which we need to reframe the relationship between cognition and consciousness, and therefore to think of an alternative embodied approach. In other words, we can affirm that embodiment does cognitive work, because the living body is essentially a cognizing agency. In particular, the notion of living body implies a psychophysical organism that by means of its capabilities and therefore movement not only manages to gain experience of the environment, but also of itself, so we have the so-called self-construction of the living body. The link between the subject and the world is also a reality shaped, I quote from David Morris, by non-linguistic corporeal concepts. In addition, the same neurobiological findings confirm this hypothesis. In fact, it has been shown that during perception, sensory-motor interactions actually occur. For example, the development of neural circuits related to the visual system and its capabilities are dependent on the active exploration and interaction between the organism and the environment. Therefore, body action is not always complementary to cognition. But it's possible to argue that it's uh, itself cognition. And this approach seems to be coherent with the, the predictive engagement hypothesis, suggesting promising directions of study. Predictive modeling uses statistics to predict outcomes in the future or an unknown event in the past. In most cases, the model is chosen on the basis of a detection theory to try to predict the probability of an outcome given a set amount of input data. According to this hypothesis, our senses are bombarded with input from the world and our brain is constantly generating hypotheses about the causes of the sensory evidence it receives. The discrepancy between the sensory input and descending predictions of that input is known as the prediction error, 
and its function is reporting what stimulus uh, uh, or information uh, is unpredictable, unpredictable and informative. In this view, perception consists in the process of minimizing prediction errors through selective sampling of sensory input to ensure it conforms to our predictions. There can be a fundamental distinction between three philosophical views on neuroscience of predictive models. We have the predictive coding that is associated with the internal Bayesian models and prediction error minimization, predictive processing that is associated with simple embodiment, and predictive engagement that appears to be associated with inactivist approaches to cognition such as uh, account from Gallagher and Allen, Kirchhoff, Allen and Freestones and so on, just to, to name some of them. On the inactivist model, social cognitive process is seen as closer to ongoing predictive engagement. That is a dynamical adjustment in which the brain, as part of and along with the larger organism, actively responds in ways that allow for the right kind of ongoing attunement with the, with the environment, an environment that is physical but also social and cultural. Inactivists suggest that the brain is not located at the center, so we need to avoid a neurocentric vision of cognition since, uh, since neural accommodation occurs via constant reciprocal interaction between the brain and body. So adjustment and attunement can be cached out in terms of physical dynamical processes that involve brain and body, including autonomic and peripheral nervous systems. We can see how this inactivist interpretation can work by exploring a more basic conception operating in these predictive models, namely the free energy principle. The free energy principle, originally introduced by Carl Frinston and also known as active inference, suggests that biological systems maintain order by restricting themselves to a limited number of states. In order to do so, systems minimize the free energy functional of their intentional states, which entails beliefs about hidden states in their environment. These models reveal similarities with the autopoietic system by Francisco Barrera, particularly focusing on the linkages between embodiment, environment and brain processes through the application of information theoretical principles. According to this model, an organism of generates internal dynamics of probabilistic predictions embodied in neural networks that maximize survival and minimize free energy, and acts on the world in such a way as to cause sensory information to conform to prior predictions. Furthermore, the organism, as an autonomous agent, avoids unexpected states that is minimized surprising. In short, the free energy principle is an attempt to explain the structure and function of the brain as a minimizer of variational bound on disorder, and it asserts that any adaptive change in the brain will minimize free energy. Within the three approaches to predictive model, for predictive coding and predictive processing, Active inference is part of a process that produces sensory experiences that confirm or test expectations, while for predictive engagement specifically, active inference is more action than inference. It's doing a doing and an active adjustment, a worldly engagement, with anticipatory and corrective aspects already included. It's a loop that also navigates through the body and environment and forms a whole. 
However, despite uh, the distinctions, there seems to be some common ground in respect uh, to prior experience and how the system embodies interaction and sociality in the world. This seems to be coherent with the phenomenological account, according to which, as I have previously described, cognition is incorporated and located in the environment. The role of the body is central also because our motor skills and our psychophysical being allow us to think about, and also make, I would say, a change of perspective. According to this view, we can claim that we are not an I think, but an I move. More specifically, it seems to me that uh, uh, the predictive brain could be described as a sort of biological ancestor of our procedural memory, which is an implicit body and pre-reflective body memory that, uh, I quote from Professor Fuchs, unburdens our attention from an abundance of details, facilitating our everyday performances and directing our attention toward the gestalt and the meaning of what we encounter. In a similar way, the predictive brain learns to ignore sentient errors through selective sampling of sensory input and it tracks predictable contingencies. More specifically concerning the so-called predictive brain, we need to know that usually predictions are used here and now to shape one's online estimation of the state of mind, and that the resulting prediction errors also shape plasticity and learning over longer time scales. This is pretty important because the world is not static, and predictable contingencies can change, so predictive coding has to track these dynamics. Since two experiences are never completely the same, there will always be some prediction error. For this reason, predictive coding must incorporate a mechanism to flexibly alter the extent to which the prediction errors affect future learning and plasticity. The complex and fluctuating nature of regularities in the world implies that people not only learn from their errors, but also need to meet and learn to sometimes ignore errors. Especially when situations are too complex, for instance in social understanding, people need to tolerate a certain degree of error in order to develop a more abstract level of representation. And it's very interesting to notice that in autism, indeed, this mechanism seems to be disrupted. Of course, today I won't have time to uh, explain in details the many different uh, theories about uh, autism. In a very schematic manner, we can claim that uh, uh, we have a behavioral explanation, a cognitive explanation, and a neuroscientific explanations. What I would like to do today is to offer a sort of multidisciplinary account uh, of autism uh, using uh, a phenomenological approach but also a neuroscientific approach and trying to, uh, to make a description of autism starting from these two perspectives. In particular, I would rely on uh, the IPA model. Um, we can include the IPA model within the predictive coding perspective. According to this model developed by Wagemas and others uh, in 2014, the core deficit of autistic spectrum disorder is the eye inflexible precision of prediction errors. In other words, individuals with uh, autism overestimate the amount of changes in environment regularities because they give too much weight to their prediction errors, and every new instance is treated as an exception different from previous experiences. 
The inextricable interwoven between neural operations and extra neural operations is compromised. Using a phenomenological vocabulary, uh, we can argue that uh, individuals with autism have an analytic perception of reality which, is, which uh, does not allow them to understand immediately and pre-reflectively external situations. So we can register an impairment of the habit body, which is the main cause of the difficulties to cope with reality and the external world. The body schema, which usually allows for a correct and pre-reflective tractogonosia, does not work appropriately and they need to rely much more on the scaffolding provided by the caregivers, for instance, explicitly guiding progression from simple to more naturalistic situations. This leads to an hyperreactivity to sensory stimuli, resulting from a combination of the lack of exploration and the self-protective attitude, and an high level of stress and anxiety, which are intensified by uncertainty. The impairment of the habitual body, in other words, uh, the overly precise and unresolved prediction errors, involves a general disturbance in the sense of the self. According to this perspective, the repetitive and uh, tactile self-stimulation can be regarded as a manner of creating prediction error, especially in unpredictable surroundings. The presence of repetitive stereotype movements in autistic subjects suggests that an abnormally large amount of correlated input is needed in order to establish a sense of self as separated from the surrounding. And the typical insistence on sameness, on routine or rituals, and resistance to trivial changes in the surroundings demonstrate that there is a clear grasp on how the world should behave while assigning too much importance to incidental changes. This involves problems in social understanding, leading to phenomena such as hyperimitation, echolalia and echopraxia. To summarize, um, a new phenomenological analysis of this pathology seems to be really fruitful because it points out different but interrelated disruptive dimensions. We have a neurobiological disturbance, in particular, the mechanism uh, which seems to be responsible for IPA are a deficient neural mechanism for precision and a deficient meta-learning system. But we also have an intercorporeal deficit starting from uh, the very first level of intercorporeality and accordingly in the higher level of social understanding. In other words, starting from face-to-face -face communication uh, to um, the higher level of uh, collective engagement, such as collective emotions, uh, um, joint actions, and so on. And we also have a lack of motor ability and an impairment of the attitude of being engaged with the world, which seems to be the core of the whole pathology. So my thesis is that uh, all of these dimensions could be synonymous with the disruption of the body and intercorporeal sense of self, in other words, of our lived body. Furthermore, the choice of predictive engagement hypothesis as the counterpart of phenomenology is not by chance, in my view, the disruption of this mechanism in autistic patients shows the necessity of a gestaltic conception of subjectivity itself, which needs to be both active and passive, even at a neurobiological level, and which seems to be an organism dynamically linked with the world. Finally, we can see an example of the fruitfulness of a multidisciplinary account. While neuroscience 
through the predictive brain hypothesis, explains how the brain works in perception, phenomenology accounts for the phenomena of intercorporeality and pre-reflective attunement with the world. Multidisciplinary analysis to the study of consciousness, therefore, allows to understand mental illnesses through a whole-person approach and provides opportunities to build new research hypotheses. We have here some uh, selected references, and uh, I would like to thank you all for uh, your attention.